Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that can't tell the difference between saving the world and destroying it. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the unbearably naive of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay, as you can likely guess, <laughs> there is a significant amount of four-color facts right. for I this movie. It. I love it. So let's start with Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Okay. Because these two are very different in the 616. Mm-hmm. For one thing, they didn't get their powers from Hydra. They're mutants. All right, yeah, I had a question about that, because in Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're doing all this stuff with the Inhumans, and they're enhanced, and then we've got these, like, gifted people that just sort of were there before the Inhumans, and they were all kind of messed with, and then, you know, we've got the mutants, but of course, they're not within the, you know, the rights range of the Marvel Currently, Cinematic we do Universe. not have m- mutants in the MCU, thank God. Let's pray that that continues, because it's a hot mess, but right. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, and these guys got these powers from Hydra. Which just seems weird. And the scepter? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Listen, there's going to be a lot with the scepter that does not make sense. But we'll get to all that. (laughs) But they're just so much simpler. They're a purer concept in the 616. They're Mm -hmm. mutants. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't understand why they aren't in humans. I mean, by and large, the movies pretend that the TV shows don't exist. But Joss and Jed talk. You know, so yeah. well, Joss is a creative, you know, an executive producer on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So all the stuff that's going on in there. I don't know why they didn't include the Inhumans, because it would just be too much to explain for people who aren't watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I guess that's an interesting point. I mean, mm-hmm. they could just explain the twins being weird in yeah. an after credit scene in a previous movie. OK, fine. Mm-hmm. But but so fair enough. That's why they're not Inhumans. Why right. are they made from the scepter? Also, giant question marks, whatever. (laughs) But not only are they mutants in the 616, they are also Magneto's children. (gasps) They are. Yes. Oh, interesting. And not only are they Magneto's children, (laughs) but they are founding members of his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Oh, wow. Is that actually the the trademark name? Is that on the business license? Absolutely. Okay, because I I like that about Magneto. Magneto's not playing games. He's not one of these guys who thinks he's the hero. He knows he's the bad guy. There, There is kind of an interesting, fun space to play where that was the 60s when comic mm-hmm. books were still just very much aimed at a younger audience and did not have to explain stuff. Like if they were evil, right. they said so on the tin. And then now when we backfill some things, we can just be like Magneto was like, look, they're going to think I'm evil anyway. So let's just go with it. Sure. I don't think I'm evil. They're going to fuck them. Put it on oh. the tin. You know, (laughs) which is also very Magneto, right? Sure, sure. So despite Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch being in the X-Men oeuvre, once they realize that being in a group with evil in its name (laughs) is a bad look, they quit and joined the second generation of Avengers, along with Captain America and former criminal turned major annoyance Hawkeye. Ooh, 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 face turn. See, I learned a thing. (laughs) That's right. They had a face turn. They were like, oh, you mean our dad 
is not a good guy and wants to murder an entire species? Mm-hmm. That does seem like a thing we shouldn't sign up for. <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, mm-hmm. once they gravitated toward the Avengers end of the Marvel pool, they've basically stayed there with some few exceptions. Mm-hmm. But apparently there's some gray area here as far as movie studio contracts go, which Mm -hmm. is why you have two versions of Quicksilver, one in the MCU and one in the X movies. Oh, he's in the X movies? He is. He is. Can you tell I haven't watched all the X movies? (laughs) You're fine. That's probably a good choice, honestly. Now, of the two of them, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver has floated between the Avengers and the X-Men most. Mm-hmm. And because his affiliations aren't complicated enough, he also married Crystal, a princess of the Inhuman royal family, and had a child with her that they named Luna. Uh-huh. Now, because nobody can leave well enough alone in superhero comics, it was eventually revealed that he was not a mutant, but that the high evolutionary had experimented on him to give him his powers. Mm -hmm. But honestly, that does not make a whole lot of sense with previous stories because mutant hunting sentinel robots had identified him as a mutant. And when Scarlet Witch declared that there would be no more mutants, Quicksilver lost his powers. So Hmm. we'll get to that. That's a whole, that's a question. (laughs) Just leave it there for now. All right. Now, Quicksilver in the MCU is a likable guy that should have lived and Hawkeye should have died. Boy, will we get to that. But in the in the 616, he has the reputation of being kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Now, mainly this is because his brain also works at super speed and the entire world is basically people in front of him in line <laughs> at the ATM that can't use the ATM. <laughs> Now, seriously, that is an in-character justification for being an asshole. Those are words right out of his own mouth. And as far as I'm concerned, that just makes him more of an asshole. (laughs) I don't know. I I sympathize a little bit, though. Oh, sure. I get it. But but don't actually say that out loud to people like that's supposed to make it better. Very true. (laughs) So... Much like the film, Quicksilver's power is super speed, but with some attendant extras that just make sense for that kind of an ability. Um, Originally, he could only run at the speed of sound, but exposure to the high evolutionary's isotope E gave him a top speed of Mach 10, along with the ability to resist the friction, the reduced oxygen, and the kinetic impact that came along with moving at super speeds. I see. His metabolism is also naturally accelerated and he heals quicker than the average person. He can run in circles to make cyclones and Mm -hmm. run up walls and across water. And he can also transfer vibrations from his body into other things, which sometimes makes them explode or vibrate apart. Wow. So he's got a little of that quake action going on. I mean, a little bit. Basically, he can move himself at the molecular level, right? Mm-hmm. Like at super speed, just stand there and vibrate. And then when he touches other things, that's bad for them, sure. which just makes sense. Just sure. makes sense. Absolutely. Scientifically, I think that's completely sound. It's definitely superhero comics scientifically sound, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> which is as far as we needed to go. Right. Now, let's leave superhero scientifically sound far in the rearview mirror and talk about the Scarlet Witch. Okay. As mentioned, Wanda is Magneto's kid, and she's a mutant. And then the MCU version goes even further off script. Okay. The 616 Scarlet Witch has two powers. First, she has Hex Spheres, which Mm -hmm. are vending machine powers that do whatever the plot needs. Oh, so she's Plot Spackle. 
She is plot spackle, okay. although eventually it's settled down to probability manipulation and reality warping, which okay. reality warping is still plot spackle. But at well, least yeah. we've given mm -hmm. it a name. Right. At least we've defined it, right? Put a small box over it. So, mm -hmm. secondly, she is genetically predisposed to harness chaos magic. Yes. Okay. Really, she is a literal witch whose superpower is using magic and who studied under one of the most famous and powerful witches in the 616, Agatha Harkness, which is just right. a baller name. I was just going to say, I love that name. I want to know more about this chick. Um, okay, side note, uh, she survived the Salem witch trials. Uh-huh, good for her. And then went on to be, like as I say, one of the more powerful witches to the point where when the Fantastic Four needed a nanny, like a governess mm -hmm. for their very dangerous newborn child, they hired <laughs> Agatha Harkness because she could protect <laughs> him from everybody else and everybody else from him. I like it. So with Wanda, usually the chaos magic and reality warping are fairly gentle. They just make things happen that will further Wanda's goals. Uh -huh. Ultron robot short circuit, stuff blows up around the person she's fighting, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Three times, though, <laughs> the Scarlet Witch and her powers have gone off the rails. All right. First... She conceived twin boys with Vision, who is an android and incapable of fathering children. Okay. And as if that weren't weird enough, she gave the boys souls by using two parts of Mephisto's soul. That would be one of the 616 Satan figures? Mm-hmm. Why does Mephisto have a soul? No idea. <laughs> Why was it split up so that Wanda's chaos magic could grab bits of it and make adorable children out of them? That I actually have an explanation for. Immortus, a time-traveling supervillain, is a real asshole. And that's all I'm saying on that subject, because it's kind of a okay. lot. Okay. The second time that Wanda went off the rails, she recreated mm -hmm. the world with Magneto in charge and an upside-down striated society where mutants were in charge and humans were second-class citizens. Oh, so she did a Bizarro World thing. I love that. Yeah, just rewrote reality and was like, all right, dad's <laughs> in charge because this sucks. You know, all now right. when that one ended, we have the third time. When that one ended, Wanda got so pissed off that she basically wished mutants away mm -hmm. or most of them. They're all back now, though. I mean, it's the <laughs> X-Men books that keep the lights on at the House of Ideas. Did you really think they were going to stick with no more mutants? No, they were not. So that's that is Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, pretty different. <laughs> yeah, very interesting, though. And so's the Vision. We're going to talk mm -hmm. about the Vision now. Um, the Vision is a synthesoid, which is just a clever way to say android, but I dig it, so we're sticking with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was created from the remnants of the original android Human Torch. So his mm -hmm. name was the Human Torch, but he was actually an android, and he ran around with Captain America back in World War II, and he got turned into the Vision by Ultron. Okay. Ultron created the Vision as part of one of his ongoing revenge plots against the Avengers and his creator, who is not Tony Stark, but we will get to it. Okay. <laughs> to make the Vision more sympathetic to humans, Ultron used human thought patterns as a basis for the Vision's brain matrix. Mm -hmm. The thought patterns he used were those of the deceased at the time, Simon Williams, a.k.a. Wonder Man. And mm -hmm. when Simon eventually returned from the dead, he was not cool with it. 
<laughs> this is why when the vision was disassembled by the government and then reassembled by the Avengers, Simon would not allow them to recopy his brain for the reconstituted vision. Mm -hmm. This left vision emotionless. He was basically a robot at that point. Uh -huh. So. Mm -hmm. In the comics, Vision is described as being every inch a human being, except that all of his bodily organs are constructed of synthetic materials. Okay. Which seems self-contradictory, but I think I get what they mean. Right. He has a solar jewel in his forehead that absorbs solar radiation to power him and mm -hmm. also allows him to shoot infrared and microwave radiation from his eyes. Wow, that's handy. Yeah, sure. You know, for <laughs> making popcorn and also murdering supervillains. Like, it seems really dangerous, but he can also step up the amount of power in those heat beams by firing it through the jewel itself. But that des depletes his reserves pretty quickly and leaves okay. him weakened. Mm -hmm. Now, the vision's coolest powers, though, are not heat vision. Mm -hmm. uh, he has the ability to control his own density. He can go from intangible and ghost-like, which lets him pass through walls and fly, mm -hmm. all the way to denser than depleted uranium, which gives him super strength and invulnerability. Wow. One creepy trick he pulls is putting <laughs> his phased hand into someone and then partially rematerializing it, which causes them a great deal of pain and they usually black out. Vision <laughs> is unhurt by it, though, and also it doesn't bother him psychologically, which I feel like it would me. Yeah. Yeah. If he's if he's human, like in his soul, then that's going to be that's going to be some human trauma right there. But, you know, I super whatever. like that you said in his soul, like we're not going to have a conversation about do androids dream of electric sheep right now. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> so in short, much like Wanda and Pietro, Vision mm -hmm. is totally different than his MCU version and also superior on literally every level as far as I'm concerned <laughs> mm -hmm. except for one MCU vision can pull off a cardigan like nobody's business <laughs> uh, for those of you playing along at home and have no idea what I'm talking about just you wait for the fashion choices in Captain America Civil War oh my god <laughs> Vision has been Wanda's husband, mm -hmm. a father to magical twin boys, an emotionless and colorless type of character, and even a teenage version of himself when he hung out with the Young Avengers. <laughs> Most recently, he was the star of a truly amazing series by Tom King, a writer I don't usually have much time for. Mm -hmm. But in King's take on the Vision, the synthesoid creates for himself a wife and two children and then tries to live a suburban life when he isn't superheroing. Mm -hmm. It is one long Twilight Zone episode set in the 616, and I wreck it highly. Okay. All right. And now, the one you've been waiting for because this movie is called Age of Ultron. Sure. Ultron! Yay! <laughs> when we are first introduced to Ultron, he is Ultron 5, the living automaton. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not true. When we are first introduced to him, he's in a hooded red getup and going by the name the Crimson Cowl. But that's all just a smokescreen to hide the fact that he had gained sentience. Mm -hmm. And why had he gained sentience? Because he had been imprinted with his creator's brainwave patterns. And that creator was Hank Pym. There you go. Okay, we're going to have an opportunity to talk more about Hank in another film. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
But for the purposes of Ultron, I have to give you a little bit of background about Hank Pym. Okay. Hank has had a troubled past. (laughs) He's had psychotic breaks and developed different personalities. And though it's Mm -hmm. often attempted to rehabilitate him, it never sticks for that long. You see, Mm -hmm. one time, and it was only the one time, Hank slapped his wife, Janet Van Dyne. Oh, my God. On panel. Oh, my God. And we've basically all never forgiven him. (laughs) And we probably shouldn't. But because he's a piece of intellectual property owned by Marvel, boy, do they keep trying. (laughs) Oh, God. They would like us, if not to forgive, at least to forget. And for now, Mm -hmm. that's not happening. So just keep in mind that Hank is at best troubled and at worst the kind of shit heel that hits his wife. Oh, my God. So Hank uses his brainwave patterns to help form Ultron's mind. And Ultron goes a little bonkers and becomes Mm -hmm. homicidal and gets real edible. He wants Hank dead and he wants Janet to be his. Oh. Ultron has a bit of a thing with constantly upgrading himself. Within a year Mm -hmm. of his debut, he'd already become Ultron 6 and then made his shell entirely out of indestructible adamantium and declared himself Ultimate Ultron. (laughs) Yeah, that's not evil at all. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's fine. It doesn't make myself indestructible so people will stop blowing me up and then declare myself Ultimate. What could go wrong? Sure. <laughs> but we do not stop there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because when he was Ultron 8, he did a Bride of Frankenstein thing with a robot named Jocasta. And yes, mm-hmm. yes, eagle-eyed viewers, you did see that as one of Tony's options to replace Jarvis at the end of this movie. And God damn it, Tony, stop making <laughs> evil robots for 10 damn seconds. <laughs> He becomes Ultron 12 and develops a relationship with Hank, like an actual Mm -hmm. kind of father-son relationship, and sacrifices himself to save Hank from Ultron 11, who is still around and has way big daddy issues still. (laughs) Ultron 14 tries to make another android bride named Alkima using Mockingbird's brainwave patterns. Mm-hmm. Ultron 17 and Ultron 16 team up and they slaughter the entire population of a country called Slorania mm-hmm. by controlling a vast army of Ultron drones. Mm-hmm. This was in an effort to steal the neural patterns from his quote unquote family. Hank Pym, <laughs> Janet Van Dyne, also the Vision, also Wonder Man, Scarlet Witch, and the Grim Reaper, who is Wonder Man's brother and I am not going into it. And he wanted this in order to create a new family of robots with a wider range of personalities. Wow. <laughs> so so let me let me just take a step back there. He wanted to create a family of robots with different personalities from his, which by the way mm-hmm. he has tried twice already with brides who turned against him. <laughs> Remember he's based on Hank Pym, so that is no shock as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and what he did initially to get the attention of his air quotes dad and the Avengers was murder an entire country, every man, woman, child, livestock, everything. Oh my god. <laughs> raised it to the ground. Ugh. Most recently, Hank and Ultron have merged together into a hybrid machine human being. Mm -hmm. This merged being hates itself, what with the fact that Ultron and Hank hate one another. 
Sure. But Star Fox, a Titanian, remember, Titan, it's a moon. Uh Lots Uh of super people live there. Star Fox, his power is to make people fall in love. And yes, it is 100% as creepy as it sounds. (laughs) And he caused the merged being to love itself and let homicidal bygones be bygones. Oh, my God. This is wild stuff. Oh, yeah. Ultron is just just amazing um fun fact even Mm -hmm. though everyone is more familiar with wolverine's adamantium claws and skeleton ultron Mm -hmm. is the original reason that the material was created in the 616 oh interesting yeah turning his first his shell into Mm -hmm. adamantium and then later his innards also into adamantium were ostensibly to make him indestructible so that the avengers would stop beating him so much (laughs) right it works more or less Mm -hmm. i mean it's Mm -hmm. got it's got some complications but Mm mm-hmm Okay, and lastly, I have one more little tidbit, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going into a whole thing here. But if you're wondering (laughs) why this movie is called Age of Ultron, when the titular android menace is only around for about the length of a really bad bout of the flu, it's because there was a comic book storyline called Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. It was set on an alternate Earth where Ultron merged with the mutant hunting sentinels and took over the whole world. Mm-hmm. This created an actual age of Ultron rather than what we get here, which is more like weekended Ultrons. <laughs> you know what? I think that's a really good analogy. And yeah, that works. But that's the whole thing, though, is so insane. And I'm wondering, you know, as somebody reads the comic books and like knew all of the stuff, you know, because going in to see Age of Ultron, I obviously had no idea what any of that meant. You know, sure, like, okay, yeah. whatever. It's just the name for the movie. Um, but going in and seeing it, you know, recreated in the movie version and, and the MCU, do you ever get frustrated when the source material is better than the um, than the new material, the adapted material? Okay, wait a minute. Are you for real on this episode of Listen Up A-Holes where we are going to discuss the bar none worst piece of shit the MCU has ever put out? You're going to ask me if I'm frustrated when the source material is better? Yeah, a little bit. Well, because your expectations are so much higher. You know, if the source material is really, really great and you come in and then you see the adaptation, which is terrible, but so much of the MCU is so different. I mean, a lot of these four color facts that, that you bring in are wildly different. So yeah. I, I guess my question is more like when you go in, do you actually expect it to be like the source material or are your expectations like as wide open as mine? Because really it could be anything. So I feel like I'm kind of a complicated person to ask that question because mm-hmm. I am also, you know, a writer, like a professional creator of fiction. Mm -hmm. So I have all this stuff floating around in my mind. But at the same time, I know there's no damn way, you know, like we had, Mm -hmm. for instance, I mean, the obvious one, we hadn't even introduced Hank Pym yet. So I was like, well, Mm -hmm. I don't know who's going to make it. Probably Tony. But, Mm -hmm. you know, how's that going to work? Why? You Mm -hmm. know why? And similarly with the title, I was like, okay, I know that they can't actually let him take over the whole world. Mm hmm. Because they only have a couple hours, you know, like, yeah, so, so I guess part of the fun for me, honestly, Mm -hmm. is to try and figure out how they're going to put the different parts together. Right. Mm -hmm. And and, um, I think TV Tropes has a has a phrase for this that I really like uh, continuity distillation. Right. Mm -hmm. So we kind of sift out the best parts, the parts that make the most sense. Mm -hmm. And so largely, I mean, there's a few 
fairly glaring exceptions, but largely I think the MCU does a fantastic job of really like boiling it down and, and getting rid of the, some of the stuff that, that admittedly accretes when we have to hit monthly right. deadlines. Like it's mm-hmm. not all gold. You know, right. <laughs> it just isn't. Um, and some of the stuff that you think is dross that they rushed to deadline actually turns out to be a really good idea that stays the course, you know. Mm-hmm. So you never mm-hmm. you never quite know in the thick of it, you know, making making this serialized fiction, what's going to work and what's not. And so I, I broadly, I think the MCU does a fantastic job of that. Mm-hmm. That ball was dropped from space. <laughs> As far as Age of Ultron is concerned. Yeah. But overall, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty, you know, I can wonder, I mean, I'll pick on another favorite of mine. Like, Thor is really boring. I mm-hmm. don't understand why, because you have right. a lot of really great Thor stuff to pull from. Mm-hmm. But okay, I get how you got here, you know. Yeah. And then you get stuff like Bucky showing up in Winter Soldier, and that mm-hmm. wasn't a very old story, and just landed harder, honestly, on screen than it even did in the comic books, because yeah. the last time we had a Cap movie, Bucky was his best pal and he lost him. You know, yeah. it actually mm-hmm. works better in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Does that answer your question? It's a complicated yeah. space. I don't expect no, them is. to actually nail it. That's impossible, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, but sometimes they, they really, really fail to nail it. And speaking of that, let's go ahead and move into the production history for Age just, of Ultra. You're just prepared to feed my fire. Yeah, tell me about that. How'd that I, go? Am how this movie happened is this. <laughs> okay. So Avengers Age of Ultron was released on April 13th, 2015, was written and directed by Joss Whedon, uh, which we're going to discuss a bit, I think. I, I don't think we can talk about Age of Ultron without really kind of talking about Joss Whedon and his very Whedon-y Whedonisms. That is just, it's, it's extremely Whedon-y, um, which for me is kind of a mixed bag, you know, uh, Whedon is, is an issue in a lot of ways, but also he very specifically speaks to things that I like, good or bad. <laughs> so um, so it's it's kind of complicated. Um, but he also wrote and directed the first Avengers movie, which, you know, we liked a lot, which was a really Nailed good movie. It. So, yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. So we're looking for, for good stuff from Whedon in this. And we kind of got dark Whedon. I think we got light Whedon in, in Avengers and we got dark Whedon here. Um, critically, Age of Ultron falls at the bottom of the pack of the MCU movies. So most people, I think, feel similarly to you, although it's not that bad. I mean, it's it lands just below Thor and just above Iron Man 2 on the Rotten Tomatoes aggregator of professional critic responses, uh, put coming in at like 75 percent. So it wasn't really like everybody didn't hate it, but they were like, nah, you know, and on and for Marvel movies, they hated it like on that scale because Marvel movies don't don't dip down that low. As far as money making goes, which we all know is the metric by which studios mark their success. It is the third highest grossing Marvel film uh, with the first Avengers movie at number one and Infinity War number two. Um, So it's making a lot of money. Black Panther is like right underneath this movie. Uh, So it made them a lot, a lot of money. So Avengers as a package, regardless of how this did with uh, viewer response and critical response, still, you know, highly, highly marketable. Um, At the beginning of work on Ultron, Joss Whedon made a statement 
at, a, at like a film festival or something they said the movie would be smaller more painful and more personal and i'm looking at this and i'm like i don't know if smaller is something that they achieved um you know because as an additional we've added on all these extra superheroes we've got falcon we've got war machine we've got all these people kind of moving in and out of the movie it's kind of insane cast of thousands um but by the end we're also bringing in ultron scarlet witch we've got everything you know um more painful i think that we do have a little bit of that um you know we have we have the death of of pietro by quicksilver we hardly knew ye a tragedy Um, a tragedy tragedy. and inexcusable we'll get to that (laughs) okay um so and i think and we have this sense of uh, pain and longing from you know cap when we get his you know reminders and of course tony is um you know is always in this this deep internal conflict for what it is that he wants to do um so i don't know if they really like got that you know is it personal you know sure i guess we're getting a little more personal we've got this you know terrible romance Thing going on with uh, with Widow and Hulk, which we'll talk about also in depth as we get to it. Um, so I'm not really sure like the, that. Like he was talking about what he wanted from this movie, and I think what we got was something a little bit different. Um, but I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, anyway, about a year after the film came out, Whedon said that he was so beaten down by the process of making that movie, um, he'd had all these conflicts with Marvel that exhausted him, and then he blamed the studio for the final cut not being you know like good or whatever um, or what he wanted um and so we have another director that is you know in the middle of a bad breakup with marvel you know they're subtweeting each other it's this whole thing um and whedon has not since returned to the franchise and actually he hasn't really done a whole lot of anything since then um but also he's had a lot of personal stuff going on he had kind of like he had bad divorce and then a, a bit of a me too scandal um so we're just gonna let that lie there there was some personal shit going on with joss whedon at this time which may have affected I don't know why he turned up the Whedon to like 11 on this movie and 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 really, I think, brought his misogyny out for full on play. You know, those of you who are yelling in agreement with me as you listen to this, join me in saying bye, Felicia. (laughs) <laughs> right. All right. We're going to let that go for just a little bit. Uh, the budget for Age of Ultron uh, was the largest to date uh, as of the, the making of this movie for a Marvel movie, topping out at $250 million, which would be matched the following year by Civil War, uh, which was ostensibly a cat movie. But really, it was like all the Avengers. It was this whole thing. So um, we'll talk about that, of course, when we get there. Um, this movie's filming locations included South Africa, England, South Korea, New York and Bangladesh and included over 3,000 special effects shots that were executed by over 10 visual effects studios. And with a running time of two hours and 21 minutes, it was the longest Marvel movie at the time of its release. Although admittedly, not by that much. I mean, the shortest Marvel movies are The Incredible Hulk and Thor coming in at an hour and 52 minutes. So this is just a half hour longer than that. Um, But it is, you know, the movies are getting longer. The action sequences are getting more intense. And I think that's one of the things that... um, that kind of contribute to this this very specific Marvel aesthetic in which you're watching a two and a half hour movie of which an hour is, you know, explosions and Hulk destroying asphalt and like just whatever, you know, um, which gets a little bit. I think ridiculous after a while. And for me, as someone that like, I'm not a big fan of action sequences in general, I tend to, they tend to bore me because it's all spectacle and there's usually not much 
actually happening during them, you know. Um, but, uh, but you know, starting with that, I'm going to go and start with how we open this film, right? Um, we open this film uh, in Medias Res. We've got the action scene. You know, we've got all the Avengers, and they're trying to find the scepter. They're taking down Strucker's... Um, you know, Hydra outpost in the middle of, I believe it is Sokovia um, in the opening. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and then we have, so we have Strucker and we have List who we just saw in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? So he's doing double duty. Um, and Strucker, the guy that we keep talking about in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but have never seen, you know, he's like the big bad guy. He's like the super duper evil. And he's on screen for like, I don't know, 34, 35 seconds before he gets killed. Uh, him, him and his monocle. Yeah. But can we talk about how every single one of those 35 seconds is a friggin' gem? <laughs> yes. No, I love it. We will never surrender. I'm going to surrender. I will surrender. Yeah. I mean, it's just, just man, we've got a monocle and we have just a hint of an Eastern European or German mm-hmm. accent, which is traditionally villainous. And yes. he's just, you know, and his... His hench people are mm-hmm. sort of obviously not chosen to be great soldiers. Like this was a science place because he's like, can we hold them off? They are the Avengers. And he doesn't even argue. He's just like, you got a and point. Like, yeah, I know. Oh, just every single one of them. A gem, mm-hmm. a gem. We hardly yeah. knew ye indeed. Yes, yes. And it's it's very sad to see him go so fast. But it's so it was funny to me because in the context of we've been watching, you know, all of this Ages of Shield. In Ages of Shield, they're like Strucker, Strucker, Strucker. You know, they're basically doing like a background Broadway thing with jazz hands every time they say his name. He's such a bad guy, you know. And then um and then we finally get him and I'm like, Oh, here's Strucker. Oh, bye, Strucker. And then we still have Liz. Right. Okay. I mean, cool. Whatever. Yeah. You know, whatever. I mean, look, I um, loved Whitehall a lot, but can you yes. imagine if Strucker had just swaggered into place on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. instead of List? My God. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think they were saving the big bad guy, you know, because they wanted to make him out to be a big deal. And But in this, like, honestly, when I was watching this movie and I'd been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, concurrently with all this, and I went to see the movie when it came out and I didn't even, I didn't even realize, I was like, oh, that's Strucker. Like, I just, we just talk about him so much in Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. Never see him, you know. Wait, are you telling me that uh, Joss Whedon used the opening 15 minutes of his multi-million dollar blockbuster to irony smash an entire season of television? I, for one, am shocked. Shocked to discover that gambling is going on in this establishment. I know. Right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, okay, so ordinarily, I would I don't typically like when we open in, in Medias Rest because usually what it is is it's just this very cheap way of like opening in the middle of a big thing. We've got all this action going on. It's so exciting that like open with a hook thing where you do anything to make it exciting, even if it has nothing to do with the story. And you're basically putting your story off just so that you can be like, look, look, they're all fighting, you know. Um, but actually here, I think it's I think it's a legit in Medias Rest because we're opening up with them finding the scepter. And of course, the scepter is the key to everything that goes on, you know, throughout it is the inciting incident, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. That's why it yeah. works. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm very excited about it because it's almost a prologue and almost still works. Yeah, you know, I mean, but actually, I think it does work because we're really here to get that scepter. And the thing is, as I'm looking at this, like one of the things I do, of course, whenever I'm watching anything is I try to figure out what the central narrative conflict is, right? Because if you have strong central narrative conflict, if you know it's so-and-so versus so-and-so or however that works out, then you've got a sense of like how the movie is moving and how the structure works and all of that. So my first thing was like figuring out where the central narrative conflict is. And it really is Tony versus Tony. 
you know i mean we we create these two uh, eventually we create these you know two beings or whatever that that kind of personify those two sides of tony right but it's still tony versus tony and everything in tony's world is about tony you know um so it's it's really like actually that's one of the things that i like about this movie is the way in which we're kind of um you know we're kind of breathing life you know if for lack of a better word into these two sides of tony's internal conflict and then tony of course himself has no control over either one of them you know um but he did create them both you know with the help of the scepter and the magic of the you know of the infinity stone but yeah and the plot magic of the yeah. plot don't forget that yeah oh and, and a little bit of that plot magic I yeah some, but okay um but i like <laughs> I like that we're starting with that. I like that that Tony's essential problem is that he doesn't see what his essential problem is. Like he can't see it because he's so lost in his own narcissism that it is everything like he wants to protect people. And Cap is such a beautiful foil for this, right? Cap wants to protect people, but he's also thinking about the people. Like his focus is everywhere outside of himself, which leaves Cap unable to process his own stuff. So Cap is like the the opposite of a narcissist. Like he is never self-involved really, you know? Um, And then Tony is completely self-involved and it's all about him you know i mean his he has this wanda gives him the the you know magic touch and he goes into this thing and it's all about everybody dies you know and he survives and it's his fault and all of their deaths are about him and about his failure to save everybody Mm -hmm. like it's it's always about that focus like his 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 goal is good he wants to save people he wants to help people but it's about him helping people it's not about the people being helped you know Yes. And I always find that really interesting with Tony. So when we when we go into this movie, like the thing is, there are things that I like about this movie. And I mean, I don't mean to like spoil anything for people who didn't pick up on this. Josh hates this movie. Like it's not passionately, good. passionately hates the movie. And I'm with you. Terrible. I hate so much of the stuff, but I freaking love this. Like, I, I love the way that they build Tony's psychology. I, I love the way that they represent his narcissism without, um, I mean, I, I guess there is a little bit of aggrandizement there. Like, you know, because he's, he's so charming. He's Robert Downey Jr. He's so funny. But like that narcissism, that focus, everything is always about Tony and what Tony does and how it's Tony's responsibility and all of this stuff, even while he's trying to do good things, he cannot get far enough outside of himself to see anybody but himself you know in this um in this space and then we have these two external parts of him you know where we have ultron which picks up his uh, sayings which picks up which you know like basically mimics his i mean you're talking about how they take people's brain waves i mean that's kind of what you know, created Ultron. It's like Tony's brainwaves, his his snarkiness, his his sense of humor. Like, there's all of that stuff in Ultron, and only that the goal is peace, and the only way to have peace is to kill everybody. Which is what I understand to be his. It's one of the goals. His goal, I guess. Things. It's one kind of the of? vaguely defined goals of Ultron. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the vaguely defined goals of Ultron actually, I think, is a better title for this than Age of Ultron because. He is kind of out of nowhere, but we're gonna we're gonna get to that. In a I minute. have a right whole now. list of snarky things to call this movie, and the vaguely defined goals of Ultron is not on it, and I <laughs> judge myself harshly. <laughs> well, I mean, for what it's worth, that was your line. So, I mean, you, you were going to get there eventually. Um, but I love this whole thing with Tony. I love when Ultron happens, and he's you know, and they're they're like recouping after that first fight. 
and he's looking at his computer and he just starts laughing you know but with that kind of laughter that's like oh my god like the worst thing has happened and your response is laughing and then he's like is this so terrible it is it's terrible like it his processing of that and robert downey jr is so good like tony is complicated and he's a mess and he's narcissistic and he does terrible things while he's trying to do good things and he cannot help but fuck it up but i love him i love that character i love the way that they're that he's presented and i like the fact that while we do make him charming and all of these things like we i i don't think that the movie lets him off the hook oh it does right? so it 100 lets him off the hook are you kidding it 100%, me 100 well uh, okay I, i'm sorry i, guess. I have a lot the of feelings that it, about the fact that. that it puts him on the hook ever at all i guess is you know um because because we do challenge him on this we have cap challenging him on this you know cap who is the opposite of tony you know um and and cap who's every time someone tries to end a war before it starts innocent people die every time and that's his focus whereas you know tony can't see anything past it's my responsibility to stop this you know before it starts right um so i don't know like i i i like the fact that tony is a son of a bitch that he is I guess you're right, though. They do let him what off. What price does he pay for his poor choices? No, in the end, exactly what price does he pay? But, I mean, he's held responsible for it in the actual, like, we hold him. Everybody looks at Tony and says, it's your fault, you stupid idiot. What were you doing? You know? Everybody says that, but it never actually But we don't actually have thing. consequence. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right, because in the end, what does he do? He drives off in his sports car and says, I'm going to build a farm for Pepper, you know? Yeah, that, yes. I mean, this yeah. is, okay, so... We have had an extremely nuanced and problematic Tony Stark up till this point that I have really agreed with you about enjoying, right? Like, he does want to do good, but he can't Mm -hmm. get out of his own ass. Like, he's just so self-involved that that doing good winds up backfiring on some level because he can't get Mm -hmm. out of the way. And from that perspective, Ultron is the ultimate expression of that because it's the point where trying to do something good results in zero good no good happens Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and he is and i mean we're gonna we're gonna toy with him being held responsible for it in other movies but they're never really going to hold him responsible for it not really Mm -hmm. i mean tony's a war criminal at this point yeah yeah uh so is banner side note and when the movie has other people try and hold him to task Mm -hmm. we breeze past it Instead, we spend our time lovingly watch him explain to Banner that they are mad scientists and the monsters. And I was like, I'm sorry, it's superhero fiction. We have a word for that. It's called supervillains. And you guys are it. Right. But see, I I don't know. Like, I read that line as we are the bad guys but like we've got to own it like he's like, you know, we're in we're strapped in or whatever. So when he said that, like, I didn't see that as heroic from him. Okay, but sure. I think, I think it's, but that's I, when but I the vision right. happens. Yeah, I think you're right, though. That well, but the vision happens. Also, Thor hops in Ugh. and takes the responsibility for Vision off of Tony because he hops in and just magically, after having his magic bath out in the middle of nowhere with Selvig, and I hope they had a good time. Um, he comes in and he, you know, electrocutes the Vision and makes the Vision happen. And he's, I saw it in a vision, and like, all right, whatever. Um, yeah, I do. Which is. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure listening to me groan and sigh is actually going to be fun for anybody else. So I'm going to try and stop that. But honestly, Thor is a separate problem that we will circle around to. 
They're all, I mean, they're all a lot of separate problems. But anyway, I wanted to open, like, I do, I like Tony. I like Robert Downey Jr. Of course, I always enjoy Robert Downey Jr. doing anything. Um, you're absolutely right. We don't have consequence for him, and it's bullshit. Um, but I did I, like I agree that, with you, you know. actually. I just want you mm-hmm. to, like, the the Tony focus would have been amazing if yeah. the rest of the movie gave a damn about it. Well, and that's the thing. That's exactly it, is that we don't, because Tony isn't ultimately held responsible when this whole thing is set upon his sense of responsibility, because he learns nothing, because there are no real consequences for it, right? All of that means that the movie is setting up this really great space to ask these questions and then being like, nah, we're not really that interested in that. Let's blow up Sokovia, you know, um, and just go home. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I love the way that Tony set up. I do love the cap stuff too. Like, yeah, it, no, it's yeah. a good theory. I mean, I mean, in theory, I really like that dichotomy. I, yeah. I think it's not going to land until civil war. Right. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, they don't address it adequately in the movie you know it ends up being just this just we're a whole bunch of people working together and in the end i mean tony has to start asking himself some very serious questions and he doesn't like tony doesn't wrestle with himself and here we have cap right you know cap is his foil in absolutely every way you know um one of the things i love about cap too is that when they're talking about the twins and he says what kind of monster would let a german scientist experiment on them for their country (laughs) yeah right like i mean it man he gets the nuance his empathy is so beautiful. His ability to see everything outside of himself. And then, you know, we have this moment with Falcon where he says, you know, Falcon says home is home and Cap just looks away and doesn't say anything. And I think that that's a beautiful moment because for him, the 1940s is home and that's just inaccessible to him. There is no home for him. Brooklyn is not home. Nothing is home for him. I kind of, I, I, I really agree with that and only mm-hmm. push back a little bit in that I think Cap is self-aware enough to realize that the 1940s would no longer be home either. Right. Right. Like, right. like mm-hmm. he's now, you know, uh, uh, to to quote a World War Two song, how are you going to keep him down on the farm once they've seen Gay Paris? Right. Like yeah. now mm-hmm. that he's seen what he can do as part of this different world, it's like going back wouldn't actually make him happy either. Right. I mean, and he has absolutely no place. He doesn't uh, he doesn't have a sense of identity that he can really hold on to. Yeah. Post Winter Soldier, post Shield. Yeah. Um, I, and, and actually, now that you say that, that actually reframes his search for Bucky. Yeah. A new for uh, me. Yeah. And that's oh, beautiful. Bucky could Captain be home Bucky, for him. They could be home for each other. They could be home for each other because they're both misplaced. Like, who's the other person who could possibly understand? Yeah. You know, also, what Cap I is it. feeling. Yeah, no, I totally ship it. I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I love this whole thing. There's that moment when he's talking to Banner. I hate everything else about the, that moment. But I love when he says, as maybe the world's leading authority, I'm waiting too long, don't. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I am really mystified at how amazing Cap is in this movie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we will just take the knees out from under him for a cheap gag or to make sure that Tony isn't too bad a guy. Right. Yeah. But Cap, see, Cap has so much go. And this is what I love about him. Like, I usually hate these gooder than good characters. I freaking love Cap because he's so complex. And everything that he's going through, you can absolutely understand. And I think that part of the thing... 
part of the reason why, I mean, it's because he's a good guy, but part of the reason too, why he is constantly focused on things external to himself is because what's internal to himself, I think is just hollow. You know, we have this vision that he remembers, oh my God, which breaks my heart for two reasons. Breaks my heart because seeing him finally get that dance with Peggy, yeah. you know, is so beautiful and breaks my heart because I miss Peggy so much. God damn it. Bring that show back. Two seasons isn't enough. All right. We'll talk about that another time. Um, but it just was so beautiful. Like him, he always is like reaching into the past for something that he can't quite grasp and he can't be in the present. And so all he does is focus on other people. And then at the end, when he's talking to Tony and he says family stability, the guy who wanted all that went into the ice 75 years ago, I think someone else came out and he doesn't know who he is. Like, I mean, you know, superhero stories are made to be identity stories. And I freaking love an identity story. And Cap is set up here for Civil War so beautifully, you know? I think, yeah, I he really, it. because because I think that I disagree with you by the end of the movie, he does know who he is. And who he is is Captain America, leader of the Avengers. Right. And training the new guys, right? Because he's yeah, like, this yeah. is my home. This is what I found. But that's not, I mean, that's his job. That's the one thing that he can do. But his personal sense of self, I don't think is complete. No, totally. That's that's sort of the beauty of what is done with Cap here. I'm yeah. I shudder to say almost by accident is that <laughs> yeah. he's left. He is hollow at the beginning, mm -hmm. fulfilled only by the job. And then yeah. at the end of the movie, he decides that that is enough. And it is for a minute when he is. I don't is... think he's fulfilled by the job. I think he's adequately distracted by the job. When there's something for him to do, he knows what his role is. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. It's simple, you know, and then everything else isn't simple for him. God, I love this character. Yes, because because here's the here's my here's my pushback there is that yes. if he were less a good person. Yeah, then I would agree with you. But because mm -hmm. he is such a good person that helping other people is actually fulfilling the core of who he is he's yeah. just trying to figure out what's the best way to do that and so he's not mm -hmm. sure and then at the end yeah. of this movie he is sure and then we're gonna and this is so great actually this is this is really good serialized storytelling right because mm -hmm. um, we've had some not not to harp on tony but we've had how iron man 3 is kind of ignored because it had two yeah. solid an ending this is yeah. how you you give a character an arc with a beginning, middle, and end, but it, mm -hmm. but you can see the parts that aren't entirely settled and you can pick at them for the next arc. Like yeah. he is in a solid place for mm -hmm. where he is at the end of this movie. And then when we come to right. Civil War, we can start showing how there's some cracks in that too, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. I love it. Cap, Cap's stuff is so yeah. strong in, in this movie. Yeah. When... We're not taking the knees out from under him for cheap gags and Tony being cool. Right. Well, I just listed all the good stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, caps in the whole movie, two and a half hours. And I just listed all the good stuff. So um, here's the thing. When we were talking before we started recording, I was like, you know, I don't hate this movie. And I think that because of the stuff that I just talked about, like I freaking love that stuff so much, you know. And then I was looking through my notes and realized I hate this movie like 75%. <laughs> Here, okay, in the last episode of Listen Up A-Holes, I was like, don't you dare start turning the gem at the middle of this dumpster into the dumpster. And you were like, but that's what I do. And I get it and I mm -hmm. love it. And I actually don't mm -hmm. think that I am generally the most negative person in the world. No. About Like, I don't think that I try and turn 
the the garbage into the gym either right like i don't mm-hmm, think i'm the mm-hmm. equal but opposite but in this yeah. one yeah it's just i couldn't get my head above water with it there's definitely good stuff but overall i'm just like it's not on balance good no it's not on balance good and the, and the stuff that's good is the stuff that i love it's this yeah. deep identity story it's this deep character work it is the you know the actualization of an internal conflict in two external things that are out of control from the person who spawned them like all of that stuff i freaking love i think that that's great um now i think uh the rest of this by the way if if you're listening and you love age of ultron this may not be the podcast for you because I'm about to go off on all the things that okay, I hate. Okay, listen, you're allowed yeah. to love it. Like, I'm, exactly. it's fine. Love what you it's love. fine. But it might be frustrating for people who super love it. People who've been frustrated by it, you might actually really enjoy what we're about to do because there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of big problems. Yeah. Story problems and also kind of like, I don't know what to say, like personal problems where it's like, yeah. did this really need to make it into this? Well, well, just... No, I mean, I think we can start with with Widow and and Banner, right? Sure. Yes. Can we start with that? Yes. Because this is terrible. Uh, all of it's terrible. Of all, there is not one good part of it, not even for a second. It's so bad. Right. No, it is. It's freaking terrible. Okay, so we set up this Widow and Banner romance basically from nothing. I mean, did I miss where they were building that? Or did this just slam into this movie like we're supposed to be on board with this relationship already? Oh, no, it's out of nowhere. It's it's okay, out of nowhere because they don't have their own movie franchises to argue about with other writers and creators. <laughs> But they've been in the background of all of these movies. And like, you know, we had like she was the one who went to Calcutta to get him in the original Avengers and all of that and fine and whatever. But it wasn't like, oh, my God, they're in love. And there's all. So we're we're like we've got this shoved in our faces in the beginning, like that this is going to be. And she's the only one, you know, the beautiful, good woman whose love tames the beast. You know, the sun's getting real low bullshit. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I promised I wasn't going to do that anymore. I'll stop doing that. I just could. It's so, it is. It's so obvious. It's so bad. It's so bad. And then we have the party afterward, which, by the way, I hate everything in that whole sequence. And when Ultron finally comes out and starts shooting at them, I'm like, yes, thank you. You know, (laughs) Um, I hate that sequence. I hate the guys fighting over their girlfriends and which one is better and like just go and make out and shut up. Yes, I was Um, about to say, that's why I like it because I've headcanoned it that basically Tony and Thor are into each other and trying to pretend that they aren't. That's the only reason I like that scene. It's way too late for that. Like, no, that's 1990s <laughs> bullshit. Like, now you can just go off and have a good time and get it out of your systems. That's fine. Um, and then the whole, like, who is worthy enough to pick up Thor's hammer dick measuring thing. And, and I, But I do like when Widow says, oh, that's not a question I need answered. You oh, know? that's a beautiful moment for her. Yeah. Yes, yes. As I am lacking a penis, I don't need to answer this question for myself. I'm very secure in my, in my own manhood. You Let know? me say, I also like that it wobbled for Cap. Oh, yeah. No, I do like that. I do. I like did that. not, however, goodness. Mm-hmm. appreciate Tony's rape joke. Thank you very much. No, no, no. That was terrible. And as yeah. we're dwelling on the hammer stuff, there's some yes. there's like a big high for Widow and a nader for Tony and Cap kind of in the middle where it wobbles. And I'm like, hey, cool. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. No, it's it's really, really super terrible. And um, and I hate that. Um, but back to hating Widow and Hulk for now or Widow and Banner anyway. Um, so we have all this nonsense. Then we have the nonsense where they're flirting at the party. We get the lovely line from Cap, which I love, but I hate the context of it. Um, and then, you know, Ultron attacks 
and they do this thing that I think it was in the last episode of Listen Up A-Holes that I was like, can we please not ever do that again? And they did the same thing where sure, two people that were did. trying to yeah. force together, there's something happening and they fall down on top of one another in a sexual position, except that this time they doubled down on the stupid and put his face in her breasts and oh my God. <laughs> I hate that so much. I promised I would stop groaning and sighing, so I'm not doing right. it. I just agree. I just <laughs> agree. It's so offensive, and I freaking hate it. I hate it on so many levels, and every time it happens, it gets more and more annoying. But I think that this is the worst one. His face and her boobs. Oh, my God. Shut up. Um, so then we have, you know, Widow's Vision, right? You know, um, where, where, or actually, like, Widow's Vision with that, that, um, that Scarlet Witch puts, puts her in when they're, you know, chasing after him. Um, you know, and we see her saying about the girls, you know, in the red room, you'll break them. And then she's, the, the woman says, only the breakable ones, you are made of marble, you know, and yeah. like, whatever that's supposed to be. And then we have her being, shipped off you know on a gurney to be sterilized right as she's passing by these girls with no mouths like i don't even know that's all red room stuff right yes and i like that part of it i like yeah. that widow is struggling with who she used to be mm -hmm. in a yeah. new way like she had sort yeah. of said i'll just be this awful human being but for shield so that's okay then and then by right. the end of Avengers, she's like oh maybe i can't be that awful person anymore <laughs> And mm -hmm. then in Winter Soldier, she's like, I definitely can't be. And so the fact that she's right. struggling with it is amazing. And seeing some of this like this red room training and mm -hmm. just how hard it was and that it goes from target practice to shooting an actual person yeah. with a bag over his head. I was like, I love all of that. This is good stuff. Her struggling with her sense of who she is is good. But the way it's realized throughout the movie um, I absolutely hate the way that we deal with that later on. It's never reflected outside of the vision. Right, right. You know, we don't really see all of that and her sense of herself and who and what kind of like, because I love the what kind of person am I? You know, somebody who's going through a redemption arc, who's trying to find themselves as a good person, despite what they've done in the past. You know, I always love that. And so I think that there's great potential for that, especially with Widow's Red Room history and all the stuff that was done to her. She was just a child. Like, she was just a kid. Yes, she's not really in charge of those decisions. Like, a lot no. of what awful stuff she's done, she did before she was a moral creature who could decide. And at the at, by the time she was, you know, like, old enough, she was already damaged by it. Like, they'd exactly. already done this yeah. to her. And you don't just turn around out of that. Like, you, you know, that takes time and that takes attention and you got to work through all that freaking trauma. I mean, everything she went through, like... It's it's incredible, and I think we don't deal with it enough, you know. But we end with this, you know, shot of her going on the gurney and being sterilized, and then that's something, of course, that we revisit in a, in the worst possible way a little bit later. And the thing is, I like I like the reflection because Banner has this struggle with his essential goodness too. You know, what yes. kind of man yeah. am I? Like, I love that question with him, and the fact that they're both asking this question, I think, actually makes them. Um, you know, people who could who could connect. 
I don't necessarily mind the idea of Widow and Banner connecting on that level and then building a relationship from that. Yes. The way they throw this at us, the way they give us the the good woman, the beautiful woman sues the savage beast bullshit. He falls on her with his face in her breast. Everybody's like, oh, you know, like um, Hawkeye's wife when they're at the farm. Oh, what? You can't tell? No, nobody can tell because it wasn't there because it's bullshit. Like, this is one of the few times I'm with Hawkeye. I'm like, no, it's stupid and it shouldn't be there. (laughs) Oh, my Um, God. You're right. You've just given me a moment I can agree with Hawkeye. A gift. There you go. A gift from on high. For Hawkeye. No, I think that's good. Um, You know, we oh, God, we have this terrible line, right, where he's where they're talking and Banner says, I think you're being hard on yourself. And she goes, here, I was hoping that was your job. And I was like, I am telling you right now, that is Whedon. That is Dark Whedon. That is Whedon's bullshit. I absolutely hated that line. It's so freaking stupid. And here we have these two characters, too. These two characters who are both going through this, what kind of person am I, question. This deep philosophical question about existence and purpose in the world. And we're getting that bullshit? Which is an awesome foil for Tony also, who is not doing that and should be. And absolutely needs to be doing that. Look at, yeah, yes, there's potential Mm -hmm. for goodness here, but. No, and I think that's what makes it even more frustrating for me is that I don't hate the pairing. I don't hate the reflection of both of them struggling with what kind of person they are. But that's where you start building a friendship. And that's the connection that you make. It's not her. The sun's getting real low. Look at my beautiful eyes. It's find the man that you know you are like because she's searching for that within herself, too. And if we had used her own search for her own redemption, you know, for as something that could help him kind of work through his stuff, because he's not in control, but he's doing it now. Like she's what she's doing. She's in control of, you know, he's not in control. So his situation is completely different, but they do reflect beautifully on each other. And it's yes. so great. And then we've got this nonsense. And then we have this whole scene at the farm with, um, you know, we can't be together, you know, Hulk being, we can't be together. I can't have kids. That can't be a thing. And she's like, well, neither can I. They sterilized me. Now who's the monster, right? And the thing is that we have these two lines put next to each other and it gets really, really terrible because it's like, it it feels like they reflect on each other. Like it's the sterilization that she thinks makes her a monster as opposed to the killing people, which makes her a monster. Um, And had we not brought the sterilization is and linked it in so closely with that and separated that out, her, her argument of like, if you think I don't understand what it is to be a monster, I get it. You know, that's what I wanted from that. The sterilization, the discussion of having children, by the way, when they haven't even had a kiss yet, right? At this point, like, first of all, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Um, You know, Banner's issue with being with somebody, you know, is that, hey, on occasion, I turn green and kill people. Like, I don't want to be in a relationship or have somebody sleeping next to me when that happens. You know, like, I understand why he says he like, and that's the thing I think that's so frustrating about this is it has all of the potential to be good. And then we go to these places that have nothing to do with it. So we associate this idea that if you can't have kids, that that makes you a monster. That's not, I think, what she's saying. But we put them so close together and it has that. But that is a slap in the face for everything, you know, that could be good about this movie. Yeah. That could be good about this pairing. Yes. It's so freaking awful. And I hate that discussion. That is not where they're at in their relationship. She is pushing so hard for we can be together. We can just run away. Like, and it's like, you're not there. Yeah. 
A, can you? And B, should you? And C, you're both trying to deal. This is the this is the time where you have the conversation about what makes a monster. And that's where the bonding comes in, that she can understand him on a certain level. If they take in this opportunity in this discussion, not to push the relationship, which, oh, my God, they're selling it like a, you know, somebody who's on commission at Verizon. It is terrible, you know, and. So, but take that out of it and have it be this discussion where he wants to leave because he's a monster and he's a danger and he can't control it. And she's like, okay, you know, I'm a monster too. I can tell you all the people I've killed, all the things that I've done. I'm struggling with that too. And her ability to understand that is a thing that, that connects, that he can finally connect with. I mean, here's a guy who has, you know, he's basically a beta male, like of the team, you know, I mean, yeah. while being the Hulk, he's the one who's like connected with, we've got all these people trying to figure out like Tony only focused on himself and then Cap only focused on others and here we have you know banner who can do both who can be both self-reflective and think about himself in in the context of how this is affecting him while also really putting others welfare you know at value like he kind of balances those sides out which i think is really nice widow even has a line to that effect during the party where she says uh you know i'm i I forget the exact line but she's basically Mm -hmm. i'm surrounded by people who can kick all the ass in the world yeah but the one guy i know who who cannot lose a fight like there's no yeah. fight he will lose doesn't yeah. want to get in a fight i'm interested yes. in that guy that makes sense yeah and it's a great characterization of banner it's a great explanation of his central like internal conflict that he has to deal with you know and i love that this is such a great moment to explore that and instead they're like i can't have babies i'm a monster let's go together you know like it's so bad and so forced and so stupid and then we get the worst part of it like when i think i can't hate this more right we have this whole they're in the middle of the big fight banner goes down and rescues her from the you know from ultron's cage and whatever and he's like we could just run away we're done we don't need to fight this fight which by the way um <laughs> i don't think that he would abandon his friends and it's everybody an in the middle of the big threat. fight yeah, yeah like come yeah, on like i think that I think that they kind of need to be there. So like I'm with her where she's like, now nah, we got to have this fight. But instead of having that discussion with him, she pushes him <laughs> into like an opening in the floor, forces him to become Hulk without his consent, knowing what that does to him, knowing how he feels about it, instead of talking him through it and saying, sometimes the monster needs to be here. Like, you know, sometimes we need to bring out the monster. I'm about to bring mine out. Are you with me? You know, something like that, where it's his consent, you know, and he jumps in the hole. Fine. Right. But this is so terrible. He He's already traumatized by all of this. He hasn't made his peace with it. He just, you know, I mean, First of all, I don't believe that he would ever abandon his, but let's just say they were having that discussion, right? You know, I mean, let's just go ahead and give them that. Um, that is something that ends the relationship right there. She forced him yeah. to be the Hulk when he wasn't ready to be the Hulk. That shows a huge lack of, of you know, respect for his consent, you know, um, and pushes him into this role that he at that moment was not ready to do. Talking him, Talking to him about it, is one thing. I'll bring out my monster. If you bring out yours, we've got shit to do. Fine. Right. You know, if they'd already had that discussion and they were building that kind of like monster thing between them. Right. Um, But just to do this. And then at the end, when he's in the plane and she's like, son's getting real low, big guy. And he he flicks her off. I'm like, yeah, yeah, good choice. Absolutely. 
absolutely yes this is the time that you cut that relationship and you're like even as hulk right he's like no enough with you bitch right that's it you know how is he ever going to trust her again how are they ever going to have that like that drives me crazy i hated all of that so i'm sorry i've just ranted for like a half an hour on this one thing no because it's it's (laughs) terrible i mean it's nobody is well served by it widow is Mm -hmm. not well served at all in yeah. this movie. Banner is not well served at all in this movie. He's just dragged into either Tony's wake or Widow's wake. Yes. Mm-hmm. And at every turn, there is a mm-hmm. way that this could have been interesting and good. And we went the other way. Yes. Absolutely. And speaking of going the other way from being interesting and good, I don't have much to say about Thor. Thor doesn't have much to say about Thor. <laughs> Thor True. is just Thor. You know, we have, you know, we have the um, the vision of Heimdall. You know, you are a destroyer. See, you know, see where that power leads, whatever. And, you know, and and everybody dying around him. And, and, and then we're in the middle of this thing. They bring everybody to the farm, you know, and he just buggers off to take a bath. Right? <laughs> well, we've got to progress the meta plot, obviously. Yeah. I, I just it feels like we don't do anything with Thor. No, uh-uh. no, not at all. Not yeah, at all. Basically and, and nothing. He's, yeah. And when he is used, he much like we've been discussing, when he is used, he is misused. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is his vision about everybody dying and Heimdall being blind instead of a vision about the fact that he left Loki on the throne? Yeah. All right. Why does he ha- why does he have to go be the meta plot mule? In, in a scene that isn't even very good, you know? Right. It's a, he goes, he finds Selvig, right? We have this whole thing. And then the next thing you know, he's in, he's in the, the, the hot steam bath or whatever, the magical steam bath of, of visions. Which we are told twice is very dangerous, yet we never see any danger. Right. And whatever. Like, mm-hmm. And then he he, you know, hops in in the middle of an argument and takes all of the responsibility away from Tony by, you know, basically shocking vision into reality. And then you're just picking it up from there. He's just like, all right, I guess we're not going to be having this very important discussion, which philosophically is at the heart of this entire movie. We're just going to skip past that. <laughs> Um, take this responsibility off of Tony. It should have been Tony who created Vision and it's stupid. And at the end, when you're like, Tony, okay, you just created this thing that is trying to, you know, kill the world. I, absolutely, the answer is, well, let me create another one. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. That's a huge, important question in this movie for which Tony needs to be responsible. But we don't have time to talk about that. So let's go ahead and let this may be a hobby horse that I'm about to get on uh, (laughs) vis-a-vis Vision. So we don't want to actually deal with that question or that problem that's Mm -hmm. centered on Tony. So let's go ahead and make your your new Android. That's fine. And then Mm -hmm. instead of having an actual conversation about that Android in any way, let's have him go ahead and pick up Thor's hammer. Right. to show that he's worthy. So here's what's up with that. Yes. We've seen a bunch of movies with Thor and his stupid hammer in them. Yes. And no one can agree about what worthy means uh, because uh, Odin uh, set up the rules, except Odin is a fucking monster. And, right. and Thor gets worthy again when he is like knock off Sunday school Jesus for 10 seconds. Right. He gets to be worthy again. Yes. Right. And, and that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense with Odin. And it doesn't 
really make any sense at all. And where is the locus of worthiness? I mean, right. it's in Why the is hammer Cap not so able that the hammer's it? making these decisions about who is able to lift it and who isn't. Yeah, the you hammer's know? smarter than Thor at that point, which I know you're on board with, but nevertheless. Well, a, a low bar, but right, still. Exactly. Yeah. Cap mm-hmm. can't lift it, but this robot that is 10 minutes old can lift it. And let me tell you why that bothers me so much in a superhero universe. Yes. I know that I'm ranty also, but this is actually really important. We've talked about this before, that in superhero universes, what makes you good is what you do. Now, I actually think that's largely what makes you good in the real universe, too. But yes, in Mm -hmm. a superhero universe, what you do is what makes you good or evil. By the way, Tony, you're evil. Heads up. Okay, your your (laughs) intentions don't matter. Right. This robot has never done anything. He's literally an infant. He's never done anything. And he gets to be worthy? How dare you? I guess it comes from the Infinity Stone. The Mind Stone makes him worthy, right? Okay, then would Thanos be worthy when he gets around to having it? Eh, No. Exactly. This is, okay, I'm I'm done. I'm done now with Thor and his stupid hammer. Okay, all right. Well, and since there's absolutely nothing else of Thor in this entire movie, we can just move on from that. He's just plot contrivance all over the on every level. Whenever he shows up, it's just plot contrivance. I guess except for the moment that he lifts Tony up by his neck and I'm like, "Yeah, go ahead, bro. Get it get it yeah. done quick before anything yeah. else happens." Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not it's not good. Um so and again, moving from not good to really not good. We can talk a little bit about Hawkeye now. I know the Hawkeye is a really difficult spot for you. So I'll go ahead and lead on this. And you can hop in anytime you want. Lonnie, actually, let me ask you a question. Let me just ask you a question. Okay. Yes. Like, let's just say that for whatever reason, you were forced to have a character that even in this bonkers universe where almost everything makes sense, he makes no sense. Let's just say right. you were forced. Nobody asked you. <laughs> You know, you got told who was going to be in the first Avengers. And so here he is again. Mm -hmm. As a creator, would it be your approach to take everything that makes the least amount of sense for him and then blow it up by about 20, 30 percent? I think I well, you know, it's a bold choice. It's definitely a choice. You're yes. It's a choice. But my first thing here with Hawkeye is um. This guy must have severe Dunning-Kruger going on, (laughs) right? How does he not feel so inadequate every day of his life on this team? Like, they all have superpowers. I've got some medieval technology and decent aims. So, okay, you know? And then he's also the guy who got tagged in the first fight and ended up having, like, they all had to leave because he got hurt, you know? Um, And if he was anything other than a white man, he would be questioning his value on the team. (laughs) Like, yeah, I just, I don't understand. You know, and the thing is, is that he doesn't even like if he served other things, if he was like also a scientist or also a doctor and also could do something, but he does nothing except have this limited resource of arrows. He's got like 12 (laughs) and a quiver. Right. You know, so even even the thing that he does well is super, super limited. I mean, I get that they've got like, you know, blue lights on him. So that means something or whatever. Um, He gets knocked down all the time. And then and I think this is the thing that pissed me off the most. Right. Then, after a big fight, he takes all of his friends, surprises his wife, who he's left in the middle of a farm in the middle of nowhere, pregnant with two small children, comes home with five guests, right? And then when she's like, oh, well, you know, if they're going to sleep here, some of are going to have to double up. And he's like, yeah, that's not going to sell. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) 
like that this woman hasn't killed you hasn't taken one of your arrows and shoved (laughs) it through your chest at this point makes her a fucking saint you know um and then there's this moment there's this moment where she basically is pointing all of this out to him right and he looks at her and he's like you don't think they need me and i'm like no they don't need you they don't need you you slow them down you do nothing you know like you have no purpose here and then she's like no i think they need you more and i'm like no that's absolutely not she's saying what she thinks you need to hear (laughs) that's absolutely not like this woman the fact that she hasn't killed him herself is a miracle you know how dare they acknowledge that Hawkeye is the appendix of the body that is the Avengers and then try and gaslight us into thinking he's the heart. How dare they? We have one of those. His name is Captain America. The position is filled. Thank you, Hawkeye. Exactly. We don't need you here, you know? Um, And then he leaves her. And this is the thing. I don't know if it's just from my experience of having been a wife, you know? Um, But this whole thing where he's like, babe, when I come back, I'm going to fix that thing. I kept saying, fix. <laughs> leaves with a promise of home repair, abandons his very pregnant wife with two small children in the middle of a farm to clean up after a bunch of superheroes who came in and stayed, you know, without asking first, like all of this stuff that she hasn't killed him. I think she's a robot. No, I agree. He's never there to fix shit. He doesn't clean up. No, I'm with you 100%. We're going to take a quick break from being pissy about Hawkeye's mere existence to tell you all that we here at Chipperish Media have more modest ambitions than Tony Stark. We're not here to save or destroy the planet. We just want to drink our wine, watch our stories, and say smart shit. And what makes that possible is the generous donations of listeners like you. Chipperish Media is kept free and ad-free by people who give a dollar or more a month to keep us talking about stories and storytelling. With shows like Still Pretty about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Still Dead about Angel the Series, and Metaphors Be With You about Star Wars, and How Story Works, a free college-level course that explains you know, how stories work. What did you expect it to be? I don't know. Patrons also get access to our Discord chat where really smart people who love stories go above and beyond what we can viably discuss in our shows. And you get exclusive content like Two Host Minimum, our upcoming patron-exclusive podcast where we mix and match chipperish hosts to talk about patron-requested movies, books, and shows. So visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you can support us in our mission to bring high-level story analysis to everyone, which maybe won't save everyone on the planet, but it definitely won't kill them either. So there's something. (laughs) Right. There's value to being just, you know, death neutral. (laughs) Well, I mean, in an Avengers movie? Yeah. You're ahead of the game. (laughs) Makes you a goddamn hero. Um, All right, so we've talked about all of our major heroes in this show, um, in this movie, and um, now I think it's probably time to talk about Ultron, about which I imagine you have some feelings. Well, I mean, I do. Okay, you asked me at the beginning about all this, like, continuity distillation and stuff like that. And Ultron Mm -hmm. is a really interesting example of that not working very well. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not being snarky now. I'm saying the 
original Ultron from the comics kind of goes bad because he's based on the brainwave patterns of a fallible human being. Right. Mm -hmm. That would have been amazing here, especially since we're externalizing Tony's internal problems. Mm -hmm. But instead, Ultron goes nuts because he looked at the Internet. (laughs) Would not be the first person to do that. But yeah. <laughs> sure. No, I mean, that's a 50 50 shot, though, right? Like 50% you wind up on 4chan and you're a fucking monster. And the other 50% is you watch a bunch of kitten videos and you're great. Right. It's a crapshoot. <laughs> yes, it very much is. I feel like Ultron is actually speaking for the entire movie when he says, I'm sorry, I know you mean well, but you just didn't think it through. <laughs> Oh, my God, you're not wrong. You are so right. And and since we're working our way through the Joss Whedon stuff that annoys Josh bingo card, yes. we've already had mm-hmm. our free space in the middle, which is yes. misogyny. We've right. got that covered. Mm-hmm. We've we've got this over fascination with the wrong character. We got that covered in yeah. Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. We have the inability to look closely at men who think they're more clever than they actually are, because that would be too much like introspection for Joss Whedon. So I've got that covered right. here. We also have the Joss Whedon villain of all villains, because this motherfucker sounds like Adam and the mayor had a love child and I am not here for it. (laughs) All right. See, I completely agree with you. And yet, and this is the thing too, like a lot of people hate Aaron Sorkin because of the, like the way to like overly performative dialogue that he does. And I think that Whedon has that super self, like self-aware performative. Like it's almost like the dialogue is itself self-aware, you know? Um, Oh my God. An Ultron metaphor. (laughs) Yes. And it becomes, it becomes a bit too much. And yet I will freely admit that I, I, I kind of love it. Like I, I love all the quippiness. I can't help it. I just do. I love Tony's quips. I love Ultron's quips. I completely agree with you and think that you're right, but I am also a proponent of love what you love even if it's shameful and i love that (laughs) i mean look there's there's a place where that could have worked right like if we were much and it's way overcooked like i completely with you i'm and it's so it is it is a thing that it just feels like ego made flesh like there's something about the i'm so in love with this particular formation of words that i don't care what it does to the character like how i mean ultron i understand like you know he's he's uh, absorbed all of the universe you know in in 30 seconds all of the internet and so he's he's quippy and whatever and he's quippy in a very like kind of twitterish way you know <laughs> like he has 140 characters and that's it and he's going to do everything he can with them you know um but it is because it was 140 <laughs> oh, characters that would have been then. a good gag you're right, right. exactly oh. like he has to speak in twitter you know um so i mean like i i, I get that um but I, but I, I like I still like I can't help it. It still makes me laugh. I still kind of like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm I'm in love with you love there. I completely concede the point to you. You're absolutely right. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. Right. right. OK, mm-hmm. um, he just I mean, so he's got like weed and problems and he's not as clean a concept as yeah the one from the comic books which Mm -hmm. is just there for you to use you know so Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah i don't know and and the thing with ultron is that um it doesn't make sense um he i I, like i okay i like 
that Vision and Ultron are these two sides of Tony, right? That are externalized from Tony because Tony cannot externalize anything from Tony. So they have to be, right? Um, <laughs> and like, I, I, I like that and I like the potential for that. Um, but Ultron, his, his, the goal of Ultron, why Tony was building Ultron was to was to create peace, right? You know, and then Ultron takes that mission and interprets it in a way that the only way to have peace is to kill everybody. Like you're missing, you're missing the point here. If you want to have peace, you got to kill everybody. Uh, It's basically the monkey's paw. Like, you know, he was not specific enough. (laughs) Peace. Right. And that's a really solid science fiction choice. Like we've seen that in strong science fiction areas. We've seen it on Star Trek more than once. Uh That's not a terrible choice in and of itself. Right. So why does Ultron have emotion? Is it because he has the stone from the scepter? Why does why is he angry? Why is he afraid? Why is he feeling things? Why is he not looking at this as a math problem? You know, because the thing is, if he came out the shoot and he was like, well, what we have here is a failure to understand how you solve your problem. You want peace. Great. I'll give it to you. We just got to kill everybody first. Boom. I'm on it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, the peace of the you grave. Know? It's no problem, you right, guys. but he's like personally angry with... And I mean, I, like, I get that, like, you know, we have... Um, Ultron, you know, from the comics, we have a little bit of that DNA in here and that he he's angry and wants to kill his creator, right? You know? Um... But like I don't I don't understand where his emotion comes from, where his sense of humor comes from, where his fear comes from, where his anger comes from. Um it, that doesn't make any sense to me and I'm like am I missing something in this? Nope. Okay. I don't think so. I mean, I think he's got about 3 or 4 motivations and right. none of them are cooked hard enough. And none of them really make sense. You know, like I understand if he's just like, you know, you can't handle this, I'll handle it for you. That's my job. You gave me this job and I'm going to do it, right? You know, like that, okay. But like his 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 sense of evil, his sense of anger, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. And like, you know, I kind of like the way he's written and I do I will say I do like James Spader's performance as Ultron. Like all the problems with Ultron aside, I I I'm here for James Spader to love what you love. I can't help it, right? James Spader is the perfect choice for the thing that we all decided to do with Ultron. So it's not James Spader that I take issue with. Let's say that. I like his performance in this. I really do. Um, But yeah, Ultron as as a concept... It doesn't make sense for me. And it also doesn't as as great as it is, this externalizing of that part of Tony's, you know, mindset. Um, it doesn't do that particularly well. And it makes me wonder if they were like, am I seeing something as Ultron and Vision being externalizations of Tony's essential inability to see outside of himself with this internal conflict? Or is that something that just kind of happened and I'm reading way too much in that and, and enjoying that way more than they deserve, right? Um, I mean, I don't Do you think it's still I don't think you're... I, I am unsure about a great many of the deliberate choices in yeah. this movie. So... Mm-hmm. So my usual Whedon issues aside, Mm -hmm. the man does typically know how to put together a story and how to put together character conflict. And he probably doesn't do worksheets anymore, you know, but he knows what the conflict of this movie is. And it pretty much has to be Tony. I mean, nothing else makes sense. And so I don't think you're seeing something that isn't there, but I think you're definitely seeing something there that didn't wind up getting realized fully. So so he got the plot from Ikea and when he put it together, there were extra parts and he was like, whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, that sounds okay. about right. That checks out. Right. That checks All out. All right. All right. Um, so Ultron for me like is interesting and whatever, but I'm not like I, 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 I don't have much to say about it because 
there I just don't think there's much there there. I think that it's it's more a performative villain, you know, kind of pastiche than it is actually one thing that makes sense. No, that's true. And doesn't kind of live up to the title or the promise or any yeah. of that stuff. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, it's a little weird. Um, okay, so moving to our sub-villains, right, who, who you know, switch teams in, in midstream. And, you know, th- fair enough. That's an option, right? You know, if you're not on board with global extinction, it's yeah. a legit life choice. Yes. Sure. Sure, absolutely. Well, you're in the moment, right? You know, where you're like, well, I, I just I just wanted to kill the Avengers and Tony Stark, right? You know, now this is getting a little too out of hand. <laughs> you know, um, she's pulling it back there. Um, so we've got uh, we've got Witch and Quicksilver, right? Um, we've got them. They're these twins. You know, they've got this very, like, deep connected relationship. Uh, they're the results of Strucker's experiments. Uh, so they have been, you know, fully traumatized from a young age. And they were traumatized by this whole experience of, you know, they were just eating dinner and then a stark missile comes in and destroys their home but i'm also wondering like yeah you know stark building all the weapons that kill people and all this kind of stuff you know we've we've talked about that and that is obviously a very kind of complicated space morally what is he responsible for but they're like more angry with him than the people who took those bombs and threw them at their house does that seem weird I mean, I guess it it definitely seems a weird sort of real life choice, but since this movie is about Tony Stark and we have actually done some of this Mm -hmm. from the first Iron Man movie, like the fact that when the United States or anybody fires a missile, it doesn't say USA or whatever on it. It says Stark Tech. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's it is a little nonsensical with real world logic, but I actually think it works pretty well for the story logic in as much as there is any, which kind of circles back to, you know, the, our yeah. Ultron problem. That, yeah. it's, that it's that it's an Ikea shelf that doesn't have all the parts and is really going to fall off the <laughs> yeah. wall. Um, so once U- Ultron decides to destroy the world, you know, Wanda's like out. She's like, nope, that's it. I'm tapping out. I'm done with this, you know. Um, <laughs> and then they switch to the other side and they fight on the side with the Avengers and there's enemy of my enemy and all of that. You know, sure. I think it like it works, you know. Um, and and so I, I like I like Scarlet Witch. Um, she's interesting to me in that I don't quite understand how her powers evolve from I can make you have nightmares to I can flick my fingers and blow you up. Right? Did I miss something oh. in her evolution? Because so, Hawkeye, Hawkeye has a talk with her while she's scared and suddenly she's super powered. Like, Well, no, no. Okay, so she had been doing telekinetic things before that. Yeah. Um, I think that you have a kind of comic book logic here where psychic abilities get bundled together sometimes uh-huh, uh-huh. so that somebody who has telepathy or or limited mind control also has telekinesis mm-hmm. you know so they can be useful in a fight right yeah i think that's what's going on there because she was doing telekinetic stuff during other parts of the movie but it just wasn't as obvious because she didn't have um endless ultrons to rip apart right and she didn't dial it to 11 like all of, it seems like all of a sudden like hawkeye spends three seconds being like you're in or you're out whatever i don't care and he leaves and then she's like okay that's it i'm gonna take this shit apart like and then suddenly well, she's she does stop powerful. the train yeah yeah so yeah. i mean it's telegraphed it's telegraphed a okay. little bit like she you know but i but in that case it's cap who levels her up which makes so much more sense than hawkeye yes except mm-hmm. for the fact that we're shoving hawkeye as the heart of this team down the collective viewing throats yes you know 
yes, which also does not quite map to uh, <laughs> to what we're actually seeing there. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I like them. I, I wasn't disappointed that Quicksilver died. <laughs> I didn't. Okay, really here's care. why I'm disappointed that Quicksilver yeah. died. Mm-hmm. I have I have two huge reasons. Um, and that's pretty much it. And one yeah. of them is that he's just a damn delight in this movie. Uh-huh. Even when he's with Hydra, he is just like enjoying the fact that he's kicking the piss out of people. Like mm-hmm. he's like, I got superpowers. It's kind of cool. <laughs> and that's fun, right? Nobody mm-hmm. else does that. He's a good time. Yeah. The mm-hmm. other thing is that we have spent two and a half hours trying to convince me that I should give a damn about Hawkeye. <laughs> and in the end... Hawkeye lives because Quicksilver sacrifices himself for Hawkeye. (laughs) This needs to be flipped. (laughs) Not just because I'm tired of Hawkeye and Hawkeye can go, but because that's actually the only Whedon move in this movie that Whedon didn't make. He makes us love Hawkeye. Yeah. Or tries to via his family and all of this other stuff. And then Hawkeye's the one that lives. What the... I I can only I, I think it must have come down to the Marvel Studio contracts because Whedon to his own devices would kill whoever we love most. Whedon would kill Cap, you know, <laughs> like that's oh, let me his tell move. you what yeah. he doesn't have the huevos. <laughs> he does not have the stones to kill Captain America. Thank you very much. Yeah, there would be a riot. That would that would absolutely <laughs> not work. Um, but he has to kill somebody, you know, and so he picked the one that they would let him kill. I guess. And then sure, this poor okay. kid, this poor kid who got the call. Oh, I'm in a Marvel movie, and then reads the script and is like, God damn it. And was a delight, I might add. Like, honestly, we get to a place where I really like Scarlet mm-hmm. Witch in mm-hmm. uh, in Civil War, but she's not, there's not really much going on there with her. Like, all mm-hmm. the personality is largely in Pietro in this yeah. movie. And so it's just, it's a crime, just a crime. And I am, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't care enough about him to be like, okay, whatever. They saved a little boy and that's great. You know, um, so they, he did that. Well, I like, okay, I guess part of the delight is his approach to problems too. Like he yeah. runs into the police station and he's like, everybody evacuate. And no one listens because <laughs> why would they? Right. <laughs> and then he just runs in with an AK-47, points it at the sky and is like, move your asses and then throws it to some. <laughs> and leaves and I'm like rock solid approach to interpersonal relationships Quicksilver rock solid fair enough that was really fun, that was really fun. <laughs> but I mean that's like him the entire movie oh you didn't see that coming and no. like yeah. unloading mm-hmm. unloading Claw's gun and just lining the bullets up is like yes I'm quite a lot faster than you precious right. it's good stuff it is it is good stuff oh and you know it was fun we got a little we had a mention of Wakanda you know, um, we got before a bunch of white people went in and destroyed a South African town. So, you know, um, then, oh. yeah, the blind, um, OK, OK, just because you brought it up, yes. it's not in the notes. And because you brought it up, let's just go ahead and talk about the frankly wild racism of including that scene so that we can sell this movie in places outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. But also, where are they? What yeah. city are they in? And the answer is unnamed African city to absolutely hell with you. Yes. I just, okay. I think they're supposed to be in Johannesburg, but I don't think they actually acknowledge it. And, you know, and okay, I like that we got Claw, right? It was fun to see Andy oh, Serkis. he's so great. He's great. <laughs> this is where he loses his arm, right? So we've uh-huh. got that, and that was kind of fun. Um, but, yeah, I, and I mean, you know, racism and misogyny, 
absolutely a huge part of this movie. Um, we have very, very few characters of color. We have, um, you know, Sam who steps in for just a minute in the in the party. And then at the end, we have uh, War Machine who comes in uh, for a little bit of it, you know, for the Sokovia stuff, um, comes in and is like, oh, well, Vision. And then he starts killing people or killing the, the, the robots. And Vision comes in and takes them all out for him. And he's like, oh, I guess you didn't really need me after all. Okay, whatever. You know, we have uh, we have Cho, the um, the doctor, you know, uh, but aside from that, it's it's a bunch of, you know, like white superheroes white and occasionally green and then visions red, you know, um, <laughs> going around and just destroying the shit out of all of these places. And we have such a huge casualty count that we are so incredibly casual about. Um, yeah. 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 Well, or or are we? Because apparently most of the Caucasian Sokovians get saved. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to make a huge, huge deal out of this. I'm sure somebody, you know, has really gone deep on this. Mm-hmm. But it's just it was a thing that I noticed right away where I was like, we didn't even name this city. Yeah. And the Hulk is going to tear it apart. Yeah. And then he's going to get to be in the rest of this movie like he is not also now a war criminal, just yeah. like Tony. It's yeah. not it's not good. And then we go to Sokovia and listen, high five Avengers for actually saving lives again. Right. I for really actually appreciate caring about that. civilians. But we only do that in in the town with the, the European people. Right? In the European you know? town. Yeah. It's um, it's a bad look as a it's, whole. It's not it's not good. Um, I mean, part of the, like the, the, the casual way that across Marvel movies, we have this problem that civilians are just destroyed, are just torn apart, are killed by the thousands, if not the tens of thousands. Right. And then that's so that we can raise the stakes and see what the danger is. But also it's so incredibly casual. Um, we're so incredibly casual about the things that we destroy and destroying an African town um, with no care at all. You know, um, it is it is really disturbing and it's upsetting to see um, and like that, along with, you know, like the, the way that we treat women. You know, in this movie that, you know, uh, I I do like out of Wanda and Pietro, right? Wanda is clearly in charge. She's the thinking part of that pair. Uh, She makes all the decisions like she doesn't go and look at Pietro and say, well, Ultron's crazy. What do you say? We back out. She's like, no, I'm done with this shit. Right. You know, Um, she makes. And so I I, I like I like her. Um, All of the stuff that we've got with Widow. Um, is really, really bad um, in the way that it treats women. The, the, the long-suffering wife who's not even suffering, she's just so glad that she can be abandoned by such a wonderful man, you know, um, abandoned in her eighth month by such a wonderful man. Um, all of this stuff is is a, a, a Tony's prima nocta joke, which is disgusting in the party. Right. Um, like all of that stuff just terrible and talking about it is only more infuriating so i want to call it out and i want to absolutely acknowledge it um but it's it's so disgusting and so irritating and i just like my patience for it is is absolutely at an all-time low i agree i have Mm -hmm. nothing else to add (laughs) yeah like it's just perfect you know it's just it's it's terrible and so like yeah absolutely we need to acknowledge that and call it out um so that's all bad stuff too like this is the thing when we talked before the thing i was like you know i really didn't mind this movie and then i realized all of my notes are like i hate this movie 
You know, like I apologize so for it. any part I played in that, but man, no, I, you, I'm just going to be honest with you. I came out of the theater mad as hell yeah. about this movie because I was just like, "How dare you give me this?" Yeah, after after Avengers, after mm-hmm. Winter Soldier, how dare you yeah. hand me this pile and expect me to eat it with a smile? Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. No, it's it's bad news. I mean, when I first saw it, like I like, and I think that I liked it because. The superficial charm. There's things that I liked. I mean, I really hated all the sure. widow and Hulk stuff right from the beginning. Um, but like, but so much of it. Like, it's now that I'm really looking at it, you know, because um, I saw it in the theaters and then I saw it like once more, you know. And I went on a podcast and I was like, no, it was it's fine because everybody loved it. I'm like, whatever, we'll just you know gush over it, whatever. <laughs> because you don't like to do my job, which is to go into other people's podcasts and explain to them why they are wrong about liking this thing. Yeah, no, I don't like to do that. If I'm on somebody else's podcast, I'm going to be. You you know, and be like, Vince, somebody else's ass. But like, uh, let me rephrase. Yeah. I don't like to do that. I'm just not afraid to do it. No, see, you're, yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a conflict I'm doing avoider. It now. No, and I think that this is not somebody else's. This is your house too. Well, no, no, no. But I, I mean, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm a no, counterpoint. But, but that's to some okay, extent. and that's completely fine. I do tend to like to focus on the things that I like, you know, for the most part, and and you know, and that's why, like, the things that I liked. First of all, the things that I love in this movie were um, unrealized, mostly. You know, they were just presented, and I liked them so much. Um, and <laughs> I like, oh, I like that. But that's, no, but that's a are. fair cop. Like, yeah, yeah th- that's the other. That is the other. Ju- so I admit, I came mm-hmm. out of the theater mad about yeah. this movie. Yeah. But the worst part of it is that the more I thought about it, the more I was like, the blocks were all there and nobody bothered to put them together. Yeah. And this is ostensibly a creator who can be trusted to, if nothing else, put the damn blocks together. To tell a good story. Like Whedon yeah. has very serious. I mean, I have learned a lot of what I know about storytelling from Whedon, like, you know, from watching his shows and, and looking at his work. Um, but I think that this is a really bad this, and not everybody hits him out of the park all the time, you know, and we sure. has his own issues like, you know, he's way too in love with his own, you know, self. He's not entirely dissimilar to Tony Stark, I think. Um, um, and um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think so, that I there's a lot that. of that there. I, you know, and I don't want to say, like, I don't know him personally. Like, I don't know him personally, just like what I've seen of his work. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of his work that has a real problem with, you know, he was hailed because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as like this, you know, feminist miracle when the reality was all he did was have a woman beating things up. And that is not a strong female character. The thing is, all of these, you know, men in Hollywood decide that, you know, oh, you want strong female characters? That's fine. What we're going to do is we're going to put her in a leather cat suit and we're going to have her kick people in the face right um and then that's going to make her a strong female character no that's not characterization that's not what you do here we have widow in this um in this movie where we have this opportunity with her to do something really interesting with her relationship with banner and instead it it becomes all about when are you going to kiss me big boy like it's so incredibly stupid and and so so poorly handled um and whedon has a real problem with the way that he treats women with the way that the men in his um in his stories talk about women and deal with women um xander is a character from buffy the vampire slayer who i love in a lot of ways but who is absolutely terrible with his relationship with women and the way that he views women and his entitlement to women um all really really bad and all stuff i think that that whedon writes and doesn't realize it's not okay and that's really the problem it's not a problem to write that. It's a problem to write it and not realize it's not okay. That, to think it's cute, 
you know um it's boys will be boys is the kind of thing that we get from him and that's really really bad so um so there are a lot of issues that i that i have with whedon while at the same time you know loving him and falling completely for the stuff about him that's charming and the fact that he knows how to put a story together in this instance i think that the story is um is a mess probably for a lot of different reasons um some of which are weed and some of which are maybe not you know um about no i think that's fair that's worth saying Mm -hmm. he he specifically said that this was his last one because of studio interference which Mm -hmm. we have heard from other creators right. so right he's not the only one you know he's not I the only absolutely one absolutely think mm-hmm. there's problems in this movie that we can hang on him personally but then other stuff like i don't hold him responsible for the giant ridiculous thor digression because that smells like hey tease our next movie we yes. gotta get thanos in here somehow yeah we've got to have all that stuff in here exactly mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i could i could go through and itemize but i, I mean the stuff that upsets me the most i really feel like largely is stuff that i see in other pieces of his work but there's also just a bunch of stuff that that wound up in this movie that i'm sure wasn't wasn't necessarily his his fault i think that i think that this the way the story failed to come together I think may not be Whedon's fault because Whedon's really good about that stuff. And I think that there's a lot of stuff they wanted him to put in there that they made him put in there or whatever. And, and you know, whoever it falls to, bottom line is this movie has a lot of problems. You know, it comes from a bunch of different sources, I'm sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the only thing we haven't really talked about in detail really is vision, you know, and you don't say. Yeah. Um, because exactly. Yeah. I don't find vision that interesting. Uh, nope. Me either. Yeah. Which is tragic because I really like comic book vision. And I should say, I like several different types of comic book vision, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I like the one that existed in the late 60s and early 70s that was Mm -hmm. very sort of data from the next generation. That's a robot trying to be human. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked the, I told you, I kind of started reading West Coast Avengers that started with his face all ripped apart like he'd been disassembled Mm -hmm. and then they put him back together and he's trying to be that guy to everybody and he remembers everything but he has no emotional connection to any of it and is also like colorless i don't know Mm -hmm. if i mentioned that before but he's completely white at that point wow um and so i like that as a contrast to the guy who was trying so hard to be a human being Mm -hmm. um I like suburban superhero stuff a lot. So watching Mm -hmm. him and Wanda try and make a relate, there's all this vision stuff that I really, really like. Mm -hmm. And he's just kind of like Thor. He's just a lot of plot convenience in this movie. Yeah. And he's also like, because I like this idea that we've got these two halves of Tony, you know, and like, but vision is vision is exactly the kind of thing. Like he is, Oh, I'm so good. You know, like I'm, I'm all goodness and there's no, conflict in there and there's no sense of you know both both sides of tony are problematic because they're all tony because they all come from tony (laughs) you know because because he he doesn't see past himself you know and then we create this vision who knows everything is everything can lift thor's hammer is completely worthy and it's just it's kind of boring there are a couple of moments or lines mm-hmm. from Vision that I really like that yeah. make me want to care more about him, but there's nothing support. They're kind of really big moments, but nothing supports them. I mean, the hammer is yeah. a good example of this, but yeah. when he says there is grace in their failings, I was mm-hmm. like, I would tattoo that on my body. My right. God, no, but it's it is good, completely yeah. unsupported. 
Yeah, like where does he get the all one the Buddha wisdom? That. He didn't get that right. from Tony. Like he, absolutely, it's the magical stone in his forehead or whatever, but, which is even worse, right? right? Like, I yeah, I don't like it because it's unearned. It's an unearned goodness. I was born yeah. yesterday, you know, like that thing. And I'm just like, okay, but you know, whatever. Um, so I don't know. I didn't. I didn't particularly care for Vision. I don't. He doesn't really like spark anything for me you know the way that cap and tony and all of that stuff was so crunchy there's like none of that in vision he's just kind of like this very smooth surface that you just sort of slide off of you know yep. and there's no, not really anything there. that's perfect that's perfect he's a living friggin ipad you yes just... yeah yeah no, it's, it's real it's sleek not... and got some lines and he does the stuff he needs to do but spilled some jelly on it and just slid right off it's magical <laughs> it's magical um i did enjoy seeing nick fury again um, I always enjoy I did seeing not, Nick but Fury. Okay. No, I enjoy seeing Nick Fury, and here's why. Because I believe that Nick Fury spends easily 80% of his time sitting around in a barn just waiting for somebody to walk in so that he can surprise them. Like, he's always <laughs> doing that. He's always coming Head around a corner. Accepted. You know? Yeah, can't <laughs> you know, fine. I mean, it's got to be a real boring life for Nick Fury to just be like, God damn it, when is he going to get here? I'm hungry. I want a taco, you know. Um, so I, I thought that that was fun. I, I I do like seeing Nick Fury. But like, again, like he steps in to reflect Tony back at himself and then leave. Like the reason I don't like Nick Fury in this movie mm-hmm. is the same reason that I don't like the helicarrier magically showing up. It's yeah. yet more plot contrivance. Uh-huh. And in this case, it's plot contrivance that undoes what was at this point and may arguably still be the finest moment of the MCU, mm-hmm. the Winter Soldier. Right. Do mm-hmm. not show up with this shit salad sandwich and try and undo parts of my precious baby Winter Soldier. Don't do right. it. <laughs> and certainly don't do it just to make your plot ride smoother. Don't mm-hmm. do it. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like it. I, I do like I do like you're not the director of me. <laughs> oh, again, again, there are gems. Like That's there's dialogue gems yeah. that yeah. are in there that are to be loved. Mm-hmm. But just Nick Fury being here at all. It's like, okay, if I accept that as a giant mistake, I can find a couple of things that I like. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I that's that's where I'm at. I, I get you. I really like your headcanon. And he's just like, <laughs> I wish somebody would. <laughs> Laura's taking care of 900 children. She doesn't have time to go tell Tony to look at the tractor. And he's just out there checking his watch like, I've got to take a leak. Come right. on. <laughs> I've been waiting out here in this barn, <laughs> you know, in the middle of nowhere for a really long time. Also, that's prima donna to prima donna right there, because he could have just walked out and been like, hey, Avengers, it's me, your pal Nick Fury. But instead, he's got to, like, lurk to try and out interesting Tony Stark, you know. Wait, yeah, just to give him an entrance. It's 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 they always do that with him. He's always coming out from behind a, a wall or whatever. Um, all right. So now here we are at the end of our discussion. Very, very long discussion about a very, very long movie um, that felt a little longer than necessarily was in actual chronological time. All right. So, Joshua, in this whole movie what's your favorite part the credits ha 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 Ha, okay i've got that out of my system okay so we have talked a little bit about what was going on with captain america in Mm -hmm. here and i really and of course cap is my standout character a lot of the times but yeah what i what i really appreciate here is that we do see a dark side for him but his dark side is himself trying to figure out the world, right? And right. and mm-hmm. his, his dark side is his lack of being sure. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like 
Because, and I think that's what the vision is supposed to represent when he goes back to the place that is theoretically home. It's mm-hmm. a mess. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. good. The only good part in it is Peggy. And in a real way, that makes it worse for him, yeah. you know? Yeah. And and he also, but he's also dealing with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I can imagine that he's having conversations, I don't know who on this team, but is having conversations with somebody about it. Yeah. And that's why when Tony's like, I don't trust a man with a dark side. And he's like, maybe you just haven't seen it yet. Is that we are supposed to realize he totally does. It's just not one that gets turned out on other people, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not even turned inward either. He's not tearing himself apart about Mm -hmm. it. He's Mm -hmm. just realizing that he's working through some stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I I appreciate that. I really like that. Um, It makes it really terrifying in the Mm -hmm. vision. It makes it very powerful when, when he says the right things, about what Tony is doing to, mm-hmm. to know that that's going on inside him, that he's like, listen, I may not know exactly what the right thing is, but I know this is the wrong thing. And it just, all that mm-hmm. stuff lands for me 100%. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot that I can say that about in this film. Lonnie, be a bright shining gem of chipper <laughs> and tell me your favorite part. <laughs> I mean, really? It, it, my favorite part is the, the reflection back and forth between Tony and Cap. I like the way that they... Um, you know, they push each other. I like the way that they connect with each other. Um, I like the way that, that their strengths and weaknesses, um, although it's definitely more weaknesses on Tony's side and way more strengths <laughs> on Cap's side, it's not evenly balanced. Right, but um, that's fair too, right? Like, yeah, that, that is also legitimate character stuff. It is, you know? and it's really, really great. And so I love all of that stuff. I love Tony and Cap, you know, in this movie. And it made me you know, fail to realize after spending two hours writing 80% of my notes are like, this is bullshit. This is terrible. I hate this. <laughs> and when I was done, I was like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think you got it. I mean, you yeah. said it's largely unrealized. And even the Tony yeah. and Cap stuff is largely unrealized it because is. in the end, Tony's wrong about everything. Cap's right about everything. But everybody still high fives and goes home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's not to undermine your favorite part, because I, I agree with you. If they had actually landed that, that would by oh, far be my favorite that part. Been, that's the that real work right there. That would have been yeah. incredible if they could have done that. But it just ends up being this like slapped together kind of hodgepodge. And it's not great. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I'm at Please Don't Talk to Me About How Great Age of Ultron Is. I Can't Handle It. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is Listen Up A Holes. Both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you who have been waiting in a barn for three hours for Tony Stark to walk in. Show your support by visiting our Patreon pages or by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation conversation. The links to Apple Podcasts and both of our Patreon pages are easy to find right there in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes, and we'll be back next time for our discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, Episodes 20 through 22. Until then, if you step out that door, you're an Avenger. Uh, Okay, uh, this is just for you a-holes who have stayed long enough. Normally, this is where we put funny stuff that we accidentally say, but I had a list of things. I want this list of alternate titles for Age of Ultron. (laughs) I was only going to call this movie by its title at the very beginning and then never again. um, (laughs) And I was ready to have a a different thing to refer to every time. So... uh, And then I didn't wind up having to use it because instead I just yelled about individual things. So... (laughs) 
Uh, and I'm not saying these are all gold. Remember, these were all supposed to be spaced out through the entire episode, <laughs> not stand on their own two feet. Okay. Uh, Three-day weekend at Ultron's. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings extended edition viewing at Ultron's. <laughs> the interminable wedding ceremony of Ultron. Oh, God. Forced to watch all of True Detective Season 2 in one go at Ultron's. <laughs> the prog rock track of Ultron. Special <laughs> thanks to Daniel Swenson, my co-writer, for that one. Here's the one that I did get to use. The oil change with Fox News on in the lobby of Ultron. <laughs> the telemarketing call of Ultron. Oh, God. <laughs> the too long stoplight of Ultron. Oh, God. The uncomfortable bowel movement of Ultron. <laughs> The Inagata DeVita drum solo of Ultron. <laughs> the DMV appointment of Ultron. Oh, the line to get on the roller coaster of Ultron. <laughs> the 4.30 on a Friday afternoon of Ultron. Oh, man. And, and one that almost could birth its own bizarre fanfic. The gender reveal party of Ultron. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, with the the segment of the children's birthday party of Ultron. Oh, no. Here's the thing. Here's why I did not include the children's birthday of Ultron. Um, Because some of the noise that went on in Age of Ultron actually mattered. Oh, Oh, God. Well, that's adorable. I loved it. Thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure. I, I mean, I'm sorry I didn't get to use them in the regular show, but, you know, I just, you did, I didn't need to. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you get a running gag and then you just, the opportunity doesn't really present itself to do it all. So, you know, but I like it. 